Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals, including maps, charts, timelines, photos, illustrations, and diagrams. Support our channel by watching and clicking on the ads in the video. It costs you nothing, and by doing so, gives us extra credit and encourages, supports, and helps us to create more quality content. Thanks! Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The glorious era that was Tudor England helped shape the early exploration and colonization of the North American continent. Join me as we continue a deep dive into Tudor England and its great transatlantic explorers. Humphrey Gilbert was an English adventurer, explorer, member of parliament, and knighted soldier who served during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I and was a pioneer of the English colonial empire in North America. He was a maternal half-brother of Sir Walter Raleigh and a cousin of Sir Richard Grenville. Sir Humphrey Gilbert set sail with a fleet of five vessels in June 1583. One of the vessels, owned and commanded by Walter Raleigh, turned back owing to lack of provisions. Gilbert's crews were made up of misfits, criminals, and pirates, but in spite of the many problems caused by their lawlessness, the fleet reached the port of St. John's, where he took possession of Newfoundland for the English crown. He claimed authority over the fish stations and levied tax on the fishermen from several countries who worked this rich sea near the Grand Banks of Newfoundland. Within weeks, his fleet departed, having made no attempt to form a settlement due to lack of supplies. During the return voyage, his ship had sight of a sea monster, most probably a giant squid. Nearing the Azores, after ordering a controversial change of course for the fleet, the vessels encountered high waves of heavy seas. Despite the persuasions of others, who wished Gilbert to take to the much larger flagship, Golden Hind, he stayed put and was observed sitting in the stern of his smaller frigate, HMS Squirrel, reading a book believed to be Utopia by Sir Thomas More. And now, let's revel in an exciting first-hand account of Sir Humphrey Gilbert's return voyage from North America, kindly made available by our good friends at LibriVox. The Death of Sir Humphrey Gilbert, 1583 Sir Humphrey Gilbert sailed from England for Newfoundland with a fleet of five vessels. The largest of these, 200 tons, fitted out by Sir Walter Raleigh, soon returned to England. The next in size was lost, and the three others were the Golden Hind, 40 tons, the Swallow, of the same size, and the Squirrel of only 10 tons, merely a sailboat. The loss of their largest vessel, or admiral, discouraged the crews very much, and they finally insisted on returning as appears in the narrative which follows. The original account is in Hecklet's Voyages, edition of 1810, volume 3, page 199. Our people lost courage daily after this ill success, the weather continuing thick and blustering, with increase of cold, winter drawing on, which took from them all hope of amendment, settling an assurance of worse weather to grow upon us every day. The lee side of us lay full of flats and dangers inevitable if the wind blew hard at south. Some, again doubted, we were engulfed in the Bay of St. Lawrence, the coast full of dangers and unto us unknown. But, above all, provision waxed scant, and hope of supply was gone with loss of our admiral. 
Those in the frigate were already pinched with spare allowance, and want of clothes chiefly, whereupon they besought Sir Humphrey Gilbert the general to return for England before they all perished. And to them of the golden hind they made signs of their distress, pointing to their mouths, and to their clothes thin and ragged. Then immediately they also of the golden hind grew to be of the same opinion, and desired to return home. The former reasons having also moved the general to have compassion of his poor men, in whom he saw no want of good will, but of means fit to perform the action they came for, he resolved upon retire. And calling the captain and master of the hind, he yielded them many reasons in forcing this unexpected return, withal protesting himself greatly satisfied with that he had seen and knew already. Reiterating these words, Be content, we have seen enough and take no care of expense past. I will set you forth royally the next spring if God send us safe home. Therefore, I pray you, let us no longer strive here, where we fight against the elements. How unwillingly the captain and master of the hind conceded to this motion, his own company can testify, yet comforted with the general's promise of a speedy return at spring, and induced by other apparent reasons proving an impossibility to accomplish this action at that time, it was concluded on all hands to retire. So, upon Saturday in the afternoon, the 31st of August, we changed our course and returned back for England, at which very instant, even in winding about, there passed along between us and the land which we now forsook a very lion to our seeming, in shape, hair, and color, not swimming after the manner of a beast by moving of his feet, but rather sliding upon the water with his whole body, not accepting the legs in sight, neither yet diving under and again rising above the water as the manner is of whales, dolphins, tunnies, porpoises, and all other fish, but confidently showing himself above water without hiding, notwithstanding we presented ourselves in open view and gestures to amaze him, as all creatures will be commonly at a sudden gaze and sight of men. Thus he passed along, turning his head to and fro, yawning and gaping wide, with ugly demonstration of long teeth and glaring eyes. And to bid us a farewell, coming right against the hind, he sent forth a horrible voice, roaring or bellowing as doth a lion which spectacle we all beheld so far as we were able to discern the same, as men prone to wonder at every strange thing, as this doubtless was to see a lion in the ocean sea, or fish in the shape of a lion. What opinion others had thereof, and chiefly the general himself, I forbear to deliver. But he took it for bonum omen, rejoicing that he was to war against such an enemy, if it were the devil." Leaving the issue of this good hope unto God, who knoweth the truth only, and can at his good pleasure bring the same to light, I will hasten to the end of this tragedy, which must be knit up in the person of our general, Sir Humphrey Gilbert. And as it was God's ordinance upon him, even so the vehement persuasion and entreaty of his friends could nothing avail to divert him from a willful resolution of going through in his frigate which was overcharged upon the decks with fights, nettings, and small artillery, too cumbersome for so small a boat that was to pass through the ocean sea at that season of the year, when by course we might expect much storm of foul weather, whereof indeed we had enough. But when he was entreated by the captain, master, and other his well-willers of the hind, not to venture in the frigate, this was his answer. I will not forsake my little company going homeward, with whom I have passed so many storms and perils. And in very truth he was urged to be so over hard by hard reports given of him that he was afraid of the sea. 
albeit this was rather rashness than advised resolution to prefer the wind of a vain report to the weight of his own life. Seeing he would not bend to reason, he had provision out of the hind such as was wanting aboard his frigate, and so we committed him to God's protection to set him aboard his pinnace, we being more than three hundred leagues onward of our way home. By that time we had brought the islands of Azores south of us, yet we then, keeping much to the north, until we had got into the height and elevation of England, met with very foul weather and terrible seas, breaking short and high pyramid-wise. The reason whereof seemed to proceed either of hilly grounds, high and low, within the sea, as we see hills and dales upon the land, upon which the seas do mount and fall, or else the cause proceedeth of diversity of winds, shifting often in sundry points, all of which having power together to move the great ocean, which again is not presently settled, so many seas do encounter together as there had been diversity of winds. Howsoever it cometh to pass, men which all their lifetime had occupied the sea never saw more outrageous seas. We had also upon our main yard an apparition of a little fire by night, which seamen do call Castor and Pollux, but we had only one, which they take an evil sign of more tempest, the same as usual in storms. Monday, the ninth of September in the afternoon, the frigate was near cast away, oppressed by waves, yet at that time recovered and giving forth signs of joy, the general, Sir Humphrey Gilbert, sitting abaft with a book in his hand, cried out to us in the hind, so oft as we did approach within hearing, We are as near to heaven by sea as by land, reiterating the same speech, well beseeming a soldier resolute in Jesus Christ, as I can testify he was. The same Monday night, about twelve of the clock, or not long after, the frigate being ahead of us in the golden hind, suddenly her lights were out, whereof, as it were in a moment, we lost the sight, and withal our watch cried that the general was cast away, which was too true, for in that moment the frigate was devoured and swallowed up of the sea. Thus I have delivered the contents of the enterprise and last action of Sir Humphrey Gilbert, night, faithfully, for so much as I thought meet to be published, wherein may always appear, though he be extinguished, some sparks of his virtue, he remaining firm and resolute in a purpose, by all pretense, honest and godly as was this, to discover, possess, and to reduce unto the service of God and Christian piety those remote and heathen countries of America not actually possessed by Christians and most rightly appertaining unto the crown of England. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was born in Portland, Maine, at a time when that seaport was heavily engaged in maritime trade. Close to half a century later, in the poem Sir Humphrey Gilbert, Longfellow channels his vivid reminiscences, knowledge, and fascination of the sea as a place of mystery and enchantment, evocations that find their way into most of the fifty or so poems he wrote in which the sea is a prominent element. Let's enjoy his narrative poem, which fancies Gilbert's death at sea as the result of collision of his vessel with an iceberg. Eastward from Campobello, Sir Humphrey Gilbert sailed. Three days or more seaward he bore, then, alas, the land wind failed, and ice cold grew the night, and never more on sea or shore should Sir Humphrey see the light. He sat upon the deck, the book was in his hand, 
Do not fear, heaven is as near, he said, by water as by land. In the first watch of the night, without a signal sound, out of the sea mysteriously, the fleet of death rose all around. The moon and the evening star were hanging in the shrouds. Every mast, as it passed, seemed to rake the passing clouds. They grappled with their prize. At midnight, black and cold, as of a rock was the shock. Heavily the ground swell rolled. Longfellow